repairing the breaches because we, we, we breach the covenant all the time. And last week we talked about repairing it. Um, this week we're going to talk about restoring the covenant. Restoring the covenant. We breached it, but we need to fix the breach and then we need to restore or we need to reestablish the covenant. We got to reestablish the covenant. We can't, we, we, we can't just, just leave it the way it is. Even if we fix the breach now, we have to reestablish. We need to, 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 to make sure we restore the covenant that God made with us. We have to do it. It's the only way. So let's stand and turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And I'm not going to take up much of your time. Uh, I just want to minister this word to you and, and get right out of your way. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness. I'm re- reading from the NIV version. I'm sorry, I normally don't do this, but I, I felt like there was a couple of things I wanted you to see it a l- little bit different than what the King James said. So in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 9 is what I'm going to read in the NIV, the New International Version. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. If I don't point anything out to you today that made sense, here is something I need to point out to you that you need to hold on to. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But now Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But here's the key. Why did he find grace? Because he was righteous and blameless. You want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord? You want to be righteous and blameless. That's how you find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why why are we so quiet? Soaking in? Okay, soaking in. All right. If we're going to find favor, we want to feel like, you know, just because I'm baptized in Jesus' name, if, if I am, and I, I have the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to fa- find favor. But that's not necessarily true. Mm. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 says, Then God said to Noah and to, to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant, somebody say covenant, with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generation to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Somebody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. From the beginning of mankind, God has always established covenant with us. God is always, God do business, Tony, by covenant. 
He does it by going into agreement with us. So from the very beginning of time, God went into what we call covenant with his people. That's very important to God. God do business through covenant. And so God want us to understand the importance of covenant. So from the beginning of time till today, God has established covenants with his people. Now, unfortunately, as God established covenants, we always find ourselves breaking or putting a breach in the covenant. We, we breached the covenant that God established. And so God is, is, is always trying to help us to understand how to fix breaches of covenants and how to restore the covenants, but we're always breaking. We're always uh, putting a breach in the covenant. We, he made covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and, and they broke the covenant when he told them, don't eat of the tree. He made covenant with Noah, and he told Noah that he must be righteous because that's how he found favor. And after the, 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 the flood, Noah broke that righteousness by doing things he wasn't supposed to do. He made covenant with Abraham. He made covenant with He's a covenant making and keeping God. So he's always done business. He's always done what he does with us through covenant. Okay. He, he makes a covenant with us and it's up to us to see what we're going to do. We can't breach the covenant. We need to hold on to the, to the covenant, but God is merciful because every time we breach the covenant, every time we, we break the covenant, every time we, we, we make the covenant of no effect, God shows us mercy. Somebody say God is merciful. You know, when we say God is good, that's what we mean, that you don't understand that what we are into and how things are for us, it should not be because God should, because of his covenant that he has made with us. He, we, we shouldn't be receiving mercy. We should, we, we should be in a place at, of disadvantage because we've broken God's covenant so much. But, but God is such a covenant-keeping God, and he, he loves us so much that he's always making a way for us to fix the breaches that we put in the covenant and then he wants us to restore the covenant we serve a good God he is so good to us and that's what we mean you know we like to say Christians like to say God is good and others say we mean God is good People don't understand sometimes you're living, breathing, eating and walking and you're not serving the God that created you. And so he 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 could he should have wiped you off the earth. He should have said you broke the covenant that I made with you from very beginning. But but guess what? I'm giving you a chance every day you wake up to come in covenant with me. I'm giving you an opportunity every day you breathe the breath of life to come in covenant with me. And so the life that you're living is because of my mercy, it's because of my grace, because the covenant that I established with you. Uh, you did not want to keep. You have not kept. But I'm giving you life and I'm giving you opportunities to stay and enter back into covenant with me. That's what he's trying to get us to do. What did we say a covenant is? We talked about this last week. A covenant is a mutual agreement between God and man. God with his commands makes certain promises and men agree to keep the commands. So how the covenant operate, God makes certain promises unto mankind. And mankind make the decision to obey the covenant, the command. Hmm. Also, at, God establishes it and says, here is the covenant. Here's my promises I'm making, but you need to obey my commands or at any rate, the promises are conditioned on human obedience. So God is saying the command, the promises that I've made you, it's predicated on your obedience. It's conditioned. A lot of times we always remember the promises that God made, but we don't want to remember the, the condition. Oh yeah, God made us good promises. God, God is as 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 entering into great covenant with us, and and He gave us and made us great promises. But the question is, are we in obedience with the conditions of the promises? And so that's where it gets a little dicey for us, is we're still looking forward to the benefits, the promises, but we are not always obeying the conditions. Of the covenant. God's mercy 
will still show up even though we spend so much time breaking his covenant. What is God's mercy? Mercy is this in the eyes of the Lord. When God withhold punishment, keeps us from hell, but does not get us into heaven. Mercy. God withheld punishment from us. Keeps us from going to hell, but it doesn't get us in heaven. I go down to the courthouse many times. And I, I'm, I'm, I try my best to work with young men as best as possible that get incarcerated. And most of the times I'm at the courthouse, I'm down there asking for mercy from the judge. Mercy. So you learn what mercy is when you spend a little time around the court system. I remember one of the most faithful uh, brothers that attend Bible study down at the workhouse that he had a situation where he was supposed to go to trial uh, to determine how much time he would get or if he would be guilty or not guilty, but spend time with him. And we did Bible study for years and years. And the time came where the word of God penetrated heart and he decided, you know what? I got to man up and tell the truth and let them decide what they're going to sentence me. And so the brother talked to me about it. And I just knew God. When, you, when, when you're in jail and you decide to be honest and truthful, no matter what it costs you, God is doing something in your heart. And so God was doing something in the young man's heart. And so he went before the court. I was there. Me, his mom, and I think another pastor spoke on his behalf and asked for mercy for him. The judge said when they were doing the ruling, when they were making judgment for his sentencing, the judge said, I can see that you have changed, young man. I can see that really what you're saying, God, you're, you don't seem like one of those that stand before me and say, God, 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 and there was no God. I can tell. Matter of fact, that dude was so serious about the transformation that God was doing in his life that I felt the Holy Ghost in the courtroom that day. I ain't never been in the courtroom and felt the Holy Ghost till that time. Well, another time. There's another time I felt the Holy Ghost. <laughs> There's another time I felt the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I remember one other courthouse I was in. The judge was just going off on this young man and just wanting to give him a lot of time. And it was my time to speak, and I stepped up. And as soon as I got to the, po- the podium, the Holy Ghost just took over, and all of a sudden, every the, the judge just was going crazy, Cheryl. But as soon as I stepped up and talked to the judge, all of a sudden, I felt a shift in the atmosphere, and the judge just became nice. I said, Lord, have mercy. Well, that was one time, and then I just knew and felt the Holy Ghost, and then this other time. And so they said, okay. When it was time to sentence the young man, they sentenced him to 13 years in prison. But hear this. The crime he committed... And his jacket history of crime, he was supposed to get 30 years in prison. 30 easy. And when the judge sentenced him, the judge said, we can see that you have changed, but you still did the crimes that you did. He said, oh, we know you've changed. And the proof was he only got 13 years instead of 30 years. We know you've changed, but it's not like you didn't do those crimes. Well, that judge didn't know what he was doing, but that's how God does us in mercy. You still got to pay because you did something, but you're not going to pay what you're supposed to pay. Oh, yes. We want to think God is going to wipe the state clean. No, he can't. Because his laws of reciprocity is already working. So if, if I stole, somebody's going to steal from me. If I lied to somebody, somebody's going to lie. He can't change that. But he, he, he can interfere with how much you get lied to. <laughs> so God will have mercy, but mercy don't mean you don't have to pay a penalty. Mercy don't mean you get over. Mercy just means I will withhold the punishment that you deserve. You still will be punished, but I will withhold the entire punishment. So that's what mercy is. God withhold and keeps us from hell. We, he don't send us to hell when we deserve hell. That brother deserved 30 years, but he only got 13. Listen, I've seen some crazy stuff. This one guy 
that was part of our Bible study, he committed a crime, but his crime seemed so far less significant than the one brother I'm telling you about that got 13 when it should have been 30. He got 30. It's no joke. It's no, he got 30. And if, and if I tell you what his crime was for 30 years, you would say, you got to be murderers. Get less than 30. This guy didn't murder nobody. And he got 30. And I hate to tell him. I didn't get a chance to tell him because I didn't want to tell him. I probably did it while ministering. But all while he was in jail and coming to the Bible study, all he was worried about was getting out. Bible study was just something that he wanted to do, I guess, to just to pass the time. But all he wanted to do was get out. Yeah, man, my attorney told me we, I should be getting out. That's all he ever talked about. Hey, man, what's going on? And my attorney told me, about, about, you know, in, 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 in a week or so, me and him should sit down and have breakfast. So all he was worried about was getting out. So he was going, coming to Bible study, going through the motion. The other brother now that was a mess in his, that dude was serious. That dude was serious. That's why the Bible says, to him, to whom much is forgiven, we should praise him in, 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 in how much he has forgiven us. So, for instance, what it's saying is, here's what it's saying. It's saying that the brother that should have gotten 30 years, that, that, that got 13, his praise and his worship to God should be greater than many more people. All of us here have done different things in life. All of us here have done some wrong. But some of us know that the wrong we did, man, some of us shouldn't even be here this morning. And because we know some of the wrong that we've done, we shouldn't be here this morning. But we here this morning. You should be praising God more than the one that was raised up in the church and nothing ever happened and life was just good. If you weren't raised up in the church and you know you've done some wrong, we should never problem praising God. We should have a problem giving him the glory and the honor because we should have been someplace else. But it's God's mercy. This is why don't let nobody make you feel uncomfortable praising God. When I come to church I don't be wanting to be, you know why I want to be on the end seat when I come to church? So I can get out and praise him if I need to real quick. You know, I, I can't be in the middle. That's why I sit on the end. So if somebody want to be mad at me, I said, listen. We, we go to this conference down in Louisiana. And, 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 and Tony, they keep the door closed, right, Tony? Because there's so many people, 3,000 of us. And they keep the door closed until 7 o'clock. They open the door so we all can come in and, and have a seat. Tony, there's some 70-year-olds that be on the end. Tony, can I, I got to tell you all um, one of my things that I got to sometimes say, God, forgive me if I'm not doing this right. But I see some 70-year-olds, Tony, sitting at the end. I get so mad. Because, Tony, they got the end seat and they just chilling. And I'm like, Lord, I want the end seat so I can run around and do what I can. Because if I sit in the long pew, I, ah, you can't get out. You can't praise. I don't know about you, but I need to praise God. I want to get in a place where it's not hard for me to lift my hands. It's not hard for me to run the aisle. It's not hard for me to shout. I don't want to worry about who's next to me. I want to slip right on out and give the Lord the praise. Restoring the covenant. God wants us to restore the covenant. Noah discovered that there is more in the heart of God than the storm of his judgment. There is also a rainbow of mercy. So as much as God is going to have to judge because of some of the things that we do, God will always provide mercy. This is why in the Ark of the Covenant there was something that's called the mercy seat. You hear me this morning? And so no matter how much God got to judge you, uh, let me tell you this. I will rather fall in the hand of an angry God and fall in the hands of my enemy that love me. When, 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 it doesn't matter if God is upset with you. God loves you. You are God's weakness. And so God loves you so much that no matter what's wrong, he'll always try to make a way for you. Uh, he will always try to help you. Uh, no matter what's going on, God will always try to help you because he loves you. Uh, but don't think for a second that he can't 
judge you. He's going to have to judge. But you know, all I say is, as long as I'm with God while he's judging, I'm good. Maybe I can just praise him a little bit. Maybe I can worship him a little bit. And, and, and maybe I can I garner his favor by praising and worship him. And then the mercy he will have on me will be great. But don't think for a second that because he's merciful that he's not going to judge you. God's promises to us will consist of mercy, judgment, and mercy. I'll explain it to you in case you missed it. What it means is, before God's, before God's judgment, he will have mercy on you. But then he's going to judge you. And after he judges you, he will have mercy on you. <laughs> it's a sandwich. There is mercy, judgment, and mercy. Why? He loved you. He, he is in this for you to spend eternal life with him. He's not in this to send you to hell. He's not in this to cause your life to be miserable. He's not in this to send you astray. He's in this because he's invested in you. He wants the very best for you. But he can't stop being God. He's righteous. And so when we do wrong, trust me, all the way up to you doing wrong, God was having mercy on you. You didn't even know it. You, you, you was complaining. You complain. Oh, why are you doing wrong? Can I tell you this? A lot of times, not going to keep you long. A lot of times when we think God has been mean to us, where he, ex, he exposes our failures and faults, we think that God is being mean to us. How can God let this happen? When in essence, he's being merciful to you. Oh, how did that work? Oh, you didn't know you, you didn't know that. I get concerned when God gets quiet on me. That's when I get concerned. I don't know about you, but if God ain't speaking to me, that's when I get nervous. But even if God says, I'm going to expose you because you've been wrong, I'm okay with that because it means God's eyes upon me, Tony. It means he's paying attention to me. It means he's saying, uh, I'm extending my merciful hand to you. Uh, it doesn't matter if I feel terrible. I feel bad like everybody's talking about me and everybody's saying, look at what he did. It just means mercy. And for some of us, we're doing wrong and it don't get exposed and you, don't, you think that, that's not mercy. Yes, it starts out mercy. But sometimes with some of us, it could just be God turn us over to a reprobated mind. Send us a strong delusion that we're going to believe a lie. And we think we're good. No, no, no. Talk to me, Lord. Tell me what's wrong. Because when he tells me what's wrong, he's paying attention to me. He, he, he's, he's addressing me. But when he, he's not talking, it, it could just mean... You're hard-headed. You don't listen. I'm leaving you alone. Yes. So don't, don't, don't you let nobody make you feel bad when, when, when God is showing you mercy and show your flaws. He shows your flaws, and so now all of a sudden you're saying, man, everybody know. Don't you worry about that. I talked about that Wednesday. Peter's flaw was shown. And because his flaw was shown, that made him now ready. See, when, when you're exposed and your flaws are shown, it's supposed to bring humility to you. It's supposed to cause you to be humble, Brother Fox. I thank God for every flaw and every situation that occurred in my life because I always say, if, if all of us live life and it becomes to the point where your life seems so much better than everyone else, you're going to become arrogant and prideful. And that there's no place in, he in heaven for nobody that's arrogant and prideful. None. Everybody that's arrogant and prideful will never make it to heaven. No, no way. They're just, no. Because pride says you don't need nobody. You can do it all by yourself. Arrogance is, I got this. Don't tell me what to do. That means you don't need God. And if you don't need God, you can't be where God is because you don't need him. So we got to be careful when we think that our dirt don't get exposed. It means good. No, no, no. Ask God. If you're not crying out for God to help you so we can be exposed so you can work on it or you're not working on it before God exposes it, watch out now. God might have just left you alone. God's mercy. It's, it, it's withheld punishment. 
that keeps us from hell, but it does not get us into heaven. God also shows mercy by actively helping those who are miserable due to circumstances beyond their control. People that's born with deficiency. God will have mercy on them because that's out of their control. Noah discovered that there is more mercy there. And even when God judges you, there's still mercy. God's promises to us will consist of mercy and judgment, mercy and judgment, mercy and judgment and mercy. God's covenant is always about relationship. Somebody say relationship. That's, that's what God's covenant is all about, relationship with us. God's covenant is always about our relationship with him. It's all about coming into relationship with him and continuing in that relationship with him. That, that's what, that's when God makes covenants with us, it's about the relationship between us and him. And so he's trying to get us to come into real relationship with him and keep us in that relationship with him. That's why he establishes covenants. He's not establishing covenants for any. Listen, the, the only reason that we're here and that God has brought us into this world is for relationship. Why do we always get quiet when I talk about relationship? You know what I mean? You know why? Because so many of us are struggling with relationship. Why do we struggle with relationship? Ask yourself that question. Why are we struggling so much with relationships? We struggle a whole lot with relationships with people because our relationship with God is not where it needs to be. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the word of God. God says, how can you say you love your brother that you see when you don't love God who you cannot see? No, I didn't say that right. God says, how can you say you love God who you can't see when you don't love your brother who you can see? So the bottom line is all of our relational problem have to do with God. It's a God problem. We want to tell ourselves, I'm good with God. It's just people. Chanel, God says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That's his first commandment. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. So if we work on the first commandment, we won't have a problem with the second. Because what I always tell you, by me loving God, I love all of what's attached to him. You know, I've been saying this for a long time and some of you don't like when I say it, but I got to say it because it's the word of God. You can't say you love somebody and don't love their kids. I don't care how bad the kid are. The, the, I don't care. I'm telling you, listen, it's the word of God. I know it don't sound good. I know we don't like it. I know we have these things we like to say, but what if the kid just, uh, no, if I love you, I love your kids. There is no way around it. I know we want to come up with something to say, well, the kid disrespectful. No, I love you. If I love you, I love your children. If I don't love your children, I don't really love you. Me and you might just have a good relationship. We use the L-O-V-E word. So it, I can't say it's love if I don't like your children. Yes, it's, it's something else. We get along. We have an agreement. But it's not L-O-V-E. If it's L-O-V-E, if I love you, I love your children. So. If we love God like we need to love God, then we will have a better situation with our relationship with everybody else. Because when you love God, you realize, I'm not doing this to receive anything from you. 
I'm doing it because I choose to do it. Do we understand that? That love is something you choose to do. It's not something that you are compelled to do. God don't make nobody love anybody. You don't have to make nobody love nobody. Love is something you choose to do. So if I choose to love God, I have to love people. Because they are his people. And God says, when you offend any one of my children, you offend me. You see where I'm going? So we can't say we love God, Tony, and don't love people. Because if we offend people, we offend God. But we're going to say, oh, no, that's not it. I know we like to dress it up and fix it up and try to make it work the way we want. But listen, our problem as people and the challenge we face is we don't want to obey all of this word. We don't want to believe all of this word. We only want to take the part that makes sense to us and don't deal with our issues. But I'm going to take all of this word. I don't care how much it go against my issues. I don't care how much it go against what I think. I'm taking all of it. We don't take all of it because some of it go against our beliefs. Some of it go against how we see things. Some of it go against how we feel. Forget about it. Help us, Jesus. This is why we breach the covenants all the time. Because when it comes to a portion of scripture that go against how we feel and what we believe, we find ourselves not doing it. And then we figure out a way how to just fix it just right to justify it. Don't justify it. If it's a weakness of yours, strengthen it. It's okay to have flaws. We are flawed human beings. It's okay to have failures. We're human beings that will fail. It's okay. God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's okay. Just acknowledge it and try your best to fix it. Ah, help us. That, that, that's a hard one, huh? That's a hard one. But it's the Word of God. Do you believe the Word of God is true? I know it's true. I know the Word of God is true. I know it's true. Let me finish up here. Restoring or recovering or, or renewing the covenant. God has given us a covenant that even when a breach occur. In our relationship with him, he will restore us if we will turn to him. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 15 says, now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayers that is made in this place. If my people who are called, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, this is God talking, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. See what I mean by pride? Don't have no place with God. And my will humble themselves. You know what it means? You're prideful. When you pe- help me, Jesus. People that don't pray is prideful. Because prayer means I have to depend on God. Lack of prayer means I'm depending on me. So when I don't pray, it means I don't need nobody. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I depend on me, so I don't need to pray. So we're prideful. We're, we're demonstrating pride when we don't pray because what we're saying is, I got this. Don't need God. I don't need to talk to him because I got it. But when we pray, what we're saying is, I'm humbling myself because I don't have it, but God's got it. But let's not go ahead of ourselves. If my people, if my people, my people, so the first thing we got to sort out, Brother Tony, is are you God's people? We got to sort that out. Are you a people of God? Let's sort that out. Before any one of us can enter into covenant with God, we must become his people. We, we, we can't go into covenant. You and God don't have a covenant if you're not his people. Oh, 
boy, we, th- those are hard things to think about, huh? All right, let me give you some scripture just so you know. All right. Here is the first, well, here's a covenant that God made with Abraham. Listen to this covenant that he made with Abraham. Genesis chapter 17. 17, 11 says this. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, even every man child in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in the house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So uh, covenant that God made with Abraham was every man child must be circumcised in their flesh. Their foreskin. Every man child. That's how you enter into covenant with God. Go a little deep, Tony. Which means for a woman to be saved, she had to be under the authority of a man that is in covenant with God. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. So, here's how we've messed up, all of us. The way our God operated his kingdom, man was supposed to go in relationship with God. Covenant, covenant, circumcised, covenant. And so when that man, that man's wife is now under covenant because he is in covenant, that man's daughter is now in covenant, that man's son is now in covenant because he's in covenant with God. That's how it starts. All right, everything's going. Then, when it's time for that woman, his daughter, she grow up and become a woman, and it's time for her to leave the house, guess what? She can't leave the house because I'm in covenant with God. Whoever she dating, he better be in covenant with God. So when she say, Dad, I like so-and-so, I said, tell so-and-so and his dad to come see me. And I want to know what they believe. And I want to know how they live their life. And I want to know all that good stuff. And when, when, when we know that they're in covenant, then... It's okay for me to let her go. And nothing goes on until they engage in marriage. So she is never unprotected. That's what the daddy is saying. I can't let her go from my house until she gets married and go to the house of another that is in covenant. So she's never not under subjection to the laws of God. She's never not in covenant with God. That's how this thing was supposed to work. So now y'all see how we messed it up? Everybody got a little bit of truth and a little bit of something going on in their life. Let me tell you something. I'm going to make a statement that might not be good for some of you, but I believe it. And this is why I believe it from what I just told you. There are some places in our world that still practicing arranged marriages. I think arranged marriages is good. Yeah, y'all don't like that in America. Mm -hmm. Why do I think it's good? Your parents, if, if you were raised by both your parents the right way and they was in covenant with God, your parents knew you from you was a baby to the day, from the day you came out of the womb to the time it was time to get married. They know better than you for you than you will know for yourself. The bottom line is this. Most of us get married in 20s, maybe in 30s. You think you know you when you're 25, 26? You think you know you better than your parents know you. Yes. So, so just my opinion. I didn't, I didn't say this is, you know, everybody should do it. I'm just telling you. I guarantee you because I believe it works with how God wanted things to be for us. And so if, if we would hook people up that practice the same word of God. Live with the same principles and same values, same community. We won't have all of the mess that we have. But we decide, I'm grown, I do what I want, and some of us go pick up people from all off the sidewalk. 
And then we want God to work it out. And then it don't work out, we mad. No, we made a mistake picking who we picked. If mommy and daddy would have picked it for you, it probably would have went better. I think arranged marriage is, is good. Now, I know we, we, you know, people ain't doing that and everybody will probably disagree. But I'm just, I just, I just, I'm just going back to Bible time and I think about it and I say, you know what? It probably just worked. Just listen. It's time to go. I don't remember reading too much about divorces of people that get, you know, Abraham and Sarah and all that. I don't remember too much reading about and they got divorced. I will guarantee you this, and I'll notice that. Y'all got, you can, you, you, in this church, you can, you can Google whenever you want. Make, make sure you go on ChristCenteredOnline.com as much as you can. But tweet, text, or whatever. But if you can pull up the statistics, I know Barry will probably do it. Pull up the statistics and find out what percentage of marriage that gets arranged and then divorced. And I'll prove my point. I know, I know that percentage is going to be higher than the ones where we picked. Yes. Huh? Oh, y'all know what I mean. <laughs> y'all listening. I guarantee you it will be higher, that percentage of arranged marriage. I guarantee you. As opposed to the ones. Yeah, I said higher, right? I'm supposed to. The percentage would be lower. All right. <laughs> Boy, y'all sharp. What's the percentage? 6% ends in divorce. There you go. There you go. I, I, I knew that. I knew that. So now y'all see that I'm not just an idiot talking out of my side of my neck. Y'all see that? That I'm not just talking out of the side of my neck. I know arranged marriages work. We don't like it, but I know it will be better off than the ones that we do. Because we don't have enough sense to pick the right person. We picked according to our emotion and what we see. Mom and dad going to pick according to just what you need. For instance, I don't know where the service is going today, man. I'm messed up. For instance, Brother D, I grew up in a cooking family. Mom liked to cook. Grandmom liked to cook. I eat good. She probably going to find a woman that know how to cook for me. Because they're going to say, I grew up cooking and my son liked to cook. My grandson liked to eat good food. Do you know how to cook this? Do you know how to cook that? And if you can't, they're going to like, nah, you ain't for my grandson. You ain't for my son. Because he eat good and he likes this. Can you cook that? that? They know what I need. But probably me, I'm like, ooh, girl, I got, mm, yeah. <laughs> and then when I get all wrapped up with my emotions in her and find out she can't cook, I'm still keeping her. Why? Because my emotions wrapped up. You know how many marriages go on um, after people find out that you might not be for me, but because the money got spent, arrangements were made. Yes. Uh huh. You heard it. There you go. They say I might as well. And what I will teach in this church? No, you don't might as well. Lose that money. Be miserable for a couple of weeks or a month or three months is better than being miserable for a lifetime. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell you in this church. No, no, ain't no mind as well. Don't be miserable all your life. Just cut your losses. Lose your 20 grand. Be miserable for three months. Keep crying. But guess what? Make sure you make the right choice so you can be happy for a lifetime. Today is my 17-year anniversary. And listen, my wife will agree with me. And it's only by the power and the grace of God why we made it to 17 years. So, you see what I'm saying? So, so that's just life. We don't understand how to pick the right people. But God will help you if you trust God. And so, here we go. Let me finish up. And so we read about the covenant that you have to be circumcised in your foreskin, right? So that's how people got saved. And that's how they received the blessings of God was that a woman had to be connected or under subjection of a man that was in covenant with God. That's how you got saved. So if your daddy wasn't saved or your husband wasn't saved, sister, you wasn't saved. 
But it didn't matter back then because women didn't have a problem, you know, saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm with my daddy. But after a while, we just, you know, I'm grown. Leave me alone. And then dad, just a mess. He starts straying and things didn't go right. But that's all the mess we create. Now y'all see our mess? Look at our mess. Just for a minute. Think about that, how it started out. And look where we are today. We're so messy. Somebody said we need God. We do need God. We can't have it. It's a mess. We make messes all the time. We do all we want, and we just like, ah, how do we get here? Because we disobeyed God. It's okay. So we're all in the same boat. If you're not in that boat with us, you'll lie. We're all in the same boat. We made a mess because we didn't listen to God. But it's okay. Somebody say God is merciful, and he's a covenant-keeping God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Follow me. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. God is making a point here. The word of God is making a point here. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Old Testament says in order to be in covenant with God, you have to be circumcised. New Testament says now you must Now, look at verse 12. Somebody read that for me nice and loud. It's on the screen. Um, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. You have that on there? All right, read read with me. So, Old Testament, Tony, we have to be circumcised to be part of the, the, the family of God, be in covenant. New Testament. What did verse, what, how did the verse start? Buried with him. Baptism is the new covenant. Enter into the new covenant. That's how you enter into the new covenant. So if you was not baptized in Christ, then you have not engaged in the new covenant yet. See, I say it nice for you? Yet. So in order to enter into covenant where you can, you can experience the blessings and the promises of God, you have to be baptized into Christ. And once you get baptized into Christ, you enter that new covenant. You no longer have to worry about circumcision because you're good. You just got to get baptized now. So if you're here today and you have not entered into covenant with Christ, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart is not how you enter in. It's the initial uh, understanding of that you must know who he is. You must believe in who he is. But to enter into the covenant, there must be. Think about this. Man. In the Old Testament, did they close their eyes and says, I'm circumcised? Did, did, they, did, did the man just say, all right. I believe that I'm circumcised. I believe that I'm circumcised. I believe that I'm circumcised. And then he's circumcised. No, it had to be done physically. It got to be a physical act. So when we confess with our mouth, that's not a physical act. The physical act is being baptized in water, being submerged. It says what? Buried with him in baptism. It didn't say splashed on him in baptism. It didn't say anoint on him with baptism. It didn't say sprinkle on him with baptism. It says buried with him in baptism. So when we get buried in baptism, we now engage in covenant with him. It's important. So if we are here, anyone that's here this morning that's never entered into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism... You must do so in order to enter into covenant with him. So we must first become his people to enter into covenant with him. It is strange how people who are not the people of God are quick to point out the errors of the people of God. Both are in danger. So let's look at it like this. So let's say I'm in covenant with God, baptized, filled with the spirit, and you're not. But you see me do something wrong and you criticize me. 
okay, I'm in danger too because I'm breaking the covenant. But you're not even in covenant. So you don't even, just like, just like my chances of getting in is, is, is looking glim because I'm, 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 I'm not doing right. Your chances just as grim because you're not in covenant. And when two people are in covenant and you look and you say, man, look what they're doing. And you publicize it, you start doing wrong right away. So now you're no different from them. Did we get that? If I point out your weakness and criticize in criticism, if I was righteous before I did that, I became not right with God when I did that. So now you got two people messing up. This is why the Bible talks about restoration so much. Because it's God's will that if I see you doing wrong, I go to you. Can I tell you all this real quick? I'm finishing up. In this church, if you see somebody doing wrong, please don't come tell me. Don't come tell me you saw somebody doing wrong. That's not Bible. So if you come and tell me, guess what? I saw somebody doing blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, did you talk to them? No. I said, then don't come talk to me. That's how I'm doing in this church because I'm trying to be as Bible as I can. God believes in restoration. And by you pointing out somebody's wrong to somebody else, that's not restoration. That's not good intention. So you now go put yourself in a situation where you're wrong. Mm -mm. If you see them doing wrong, if you don't feel like you're courageous enough to go up and reach out and says, hey, man, blah, 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 and have a conversation, try to work through the conversation and tell them, hey, you know, I noticed, you know, blah, 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 you know, probably, you know, this is probably a better way to do it. If you don't have the courage to do that, fast and pray a couple of days and get down on your knees and pray for them. That, that's, those are the options you have when you see somebody doing wrong. You have two options. You can either pray and say, God, give me the, the strength and the boldness and, 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 and the anointing to go and minister to them to help them. Or God, I might not be good enough in my spirit. I may not be. The Bible says, if you see your brother overtaken over by a fall, ye which are spiritual. You might not be spiritual at the time. So you say, God, I'm not where I need to be to go and help them. So you turn and you get on your knees and you pray for them. And you never said another word to another person. Mm. I can take questions if y'all got questions. Anybody got any questions with that? Yeah? No? You good? That's that's Bible. I'm just saying it's Bible. That's how, listen, if I let you come to me and tell me about somebody, and, and you know what you just did? You try to pass your problem off to me. And now I'm walking around with all the problems. I'm not doing that. Yeah, no, Jesus didn't call me to carry the load. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is, and my burden I am not carrying your burden. When you see somebody doing wrong, the Lord allow you to see it to do one or two things. Go help them get restored or go pray for them to get restored. It ain't for you to bring it to me. I'm not walking around with all the everybody problems. That's Bible. Even in the Old Testament, Jethro met Moses and said, Moses, you're taking on all the problems of the people. Y'all forgot that? He says, if you keep on meeting everybody and discussing every problem, you're going to die. He says, pick up leaders and put leaders in position and let there be leaders over thousands and over hundreds and over tens. Put leaders over them and let them handle all the problems, only the hard problems you deal with, Moses. Well, that's this church. If it's hard, come see me. If it's not, I'm praying and hoping that you'll pray to God. And if you can see to help somebody, you'll help somebody. Uh, I'm not doing that. Because all that stuff just creates mess. Oh, Pastor, I saw him doing so and so. So I'm not I'm not the Christian police. I'm not arresting nobody. I'm not putting no handcuffs on nobody. I'm not doing that. No, go talk to your brother or your sister. And if you just feel like they won't receive you, then get on your knees and don't stop praying. And don't tell another soul. Don't tell another soul. Alright. We we finish. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. So you must first become his people through baptism. That's how you enter into covenant. And if you become his people, then he says, if you are my people and you will humble yourself, humble yourself and pray. 
If you don't pray, you're not humble. If you pray, you humble yourself and seek my face. There's a lot going on here. Pray and then go after him. Stay in his face. Stay in his face. And turn from their wicked ways. Can I tell you this? And you can stand while I tell you this. Y- y'all will trust me better if I say stand. Um, he said, seek my face. And then he says, turn. Tony, you're my man. I like to talk to Tony. Tony likes to hear me talk sometimes. So, you know, me and Tony good. Tony. He says, if my people, which are called by my, na- my name, shall humble themselves and pray, right, and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Here's what happens a lot of times. Because we're not seeking God's face, we can't turn from our wicked ways. Because we're not seeking God's face, Cheryl, it's hard to turn from what we're doing wrong. So here's what happens. We're doing wrong. We realize that we're doing wrong. So our doing wrong put a breach in the covenant. No longer are we living in that covenant that we agreed to live in with God. And so we breached it. And so now we, we messed up, right? And so because we messed up, we realize we messed up. God says that we must now seek his face before we can turn. We can't turn from doing wrong because we're not seeking his face. And what it means is this. The things that we find ourselves doing, most of the time, we want to keep doing. The things that we're doing, the reason why we keep doing them is because somehow we have justified them in our minds. Some way, somehow, what we're doing, we feel like we can justify it. So, a lot of times, we don't go to God in sincerity to say, God, this thing that you don't approve of, uh, I need to turn from it. We don't go to God like that. We go to God saying, Lord, help me, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for doing wrong. And a lot of time we're only asking God to forgive us for doing wrong, Tony, only because we realize we're doing wrong, but not because we want to stop doing wrong. I'll find myself in situation. Let me be transparent so maybe it can help you. I'll find myself understanding, all right, Wayne, you're doing wrong. And I feel like I want to justify my wrong. I'm human just like you all, so hear what I'm saying. And I feel like I want to justify my wrong. But when I measure that wrong with my relationship with God and ask myself, what's more important to you is how I made the change. Not because I didn't feel justified. Not because I didn't feel like I, I, I shouldn't have to apologize or I don't feel like I should, I, I should not do this. It's not because of that. It's because I've come to the point to realize I care more about my relationship with God than I care about this situation here that I feel like is not that bad or I should not apologize for it. And so all of us have situations in our life like that, where we realize this is not good in the eyes of God. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm justified. The only way to get around that is ask yourself. I'm telling you what I know. The only way to get around that is ask yourself, what is more important to me? My relationship with God being right or me feeling justified in this situation? And my relationship with God always went out. That's one thing I can't fool myself about, thinking that I'm okay in my relationship with God when I blatantly see I'm doing something wrong. I'm never okay with that. That is always uncomfortable in my spirit. So that will always drive me to start praying now. Now I seek his face and I says, God, get this out of my heart. God, get this out of my heart. God, burn this thing up in me. It's not right. God, get it out of my mind. And now he knows my heart because he knows I'm asking him this because of the relationship that I want to have with him. Not ask. He knows that deep down in my soul, I was justifying myself. But I weighed it and says, no, my relationship with you, oh God, is more important than how I feel I've been done wrong or treated or however you want, however we want to fix it. And I try to justify it. 
And so God helped me to get past some of those things and get it out of my heart. But the only way it gets out of your heart is when you realize it it, it puts a wedge. It puts a, 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 what's the word we call a breach in your relationship with God. And because of that breach in your relationship and you don't want it, I don't know about you. After learning this truth, I can't live the rest of my life ignoring some of the things here that's in here. I, I can't do it. I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. How many all or nothing people? In, in, not everybody's like that. My personality is like that. All or nothing. I, I know, Barry, you are. Y'all know what I mean by that? Either I'm going to be fully persuaded and do something or I just won't mess with it. I can't like do a little something here. and No, I'm all in or I'm not. That's just me. That's my personality. So because I've learned my personality, that is either I'm all in or not, I can't ignore anything that I do wrong against God because I realize either I'm all in or I'm not. And I think that's how we need to look at it. Either I'm all in or I'm not. Everything needs to trouble you that interferes with your relationship with God. And so God said when that happens, it says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, look and pray. And seek my face. As long as you seek his face, that's when you can turn. And we haven't been able to turn from our wicked ways. We go and pray. We go and cry. But we haven't been able to turn from our wicked ways because we feel like, you know what? I'm justified. And we haven't been seeking his face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, he says. Then will I heal your land. Your home, as Brother uh, Minister Brown talked about this morning, then will I come into your home and fix some of the problems, fix some of the troubles, because what you have done was seek my face. Then I'll come in I'll, and I'll change some things around because you seek my face. Then I'll get things together because you seek my face. But as long as you stay where you are and not seeking my face, then all the troubles and all the things that are going on, God doesn't, doesn't get involved. It's when you seek his face. That's what gives you the strength. To turn. You can't turn by just praying. We turn after we seek his face. The prayer came. He says, pray, then seek my face. Then you can turn. You only can turn when you seek his face. Not through your prayers. When you seek his face. So today I challenge you, if you're going to restore back your covenant relationship with God, or enter into a covenant relationship with God, you have to pray and seek him. For somebody to get baptized in Jesus' name for the very first time, the Bible says we must repent of our sins. You know what repentance is? Praying and seeking his face, then you can turn. It's always about that. Prayer, seeking his face, then turning. If we're struggling with turning, I'm sure there's a, some of you that can testify this morning that it wasn't until you decided that you cared more about your relationship with God than anything else is when change started coming in your life. But as long as you feel like this situation is not that big of a deal, you're going to stay right where you are until you seek God's face. That's when it will change, when you seek God's face. If all you do is pray, it won't help because we know what to say. I can say something to you because I know what to say. Hey, Brother Clark, good to see you. Look good, man. You're sharp, blah, blah. I, I can say that, but that's surface. But if I seek him out to encourage him, I'm going to tell him the good and the bad, not just always compliment him because I'm seeking him out. When you're seeking God out, you're seeking him out. It's not just talking vain, repetitious prayers. You're seeking him out. Bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to restore our relationship with you. The covenant that we entered in when we repented of our sins and got baptized in Jesus' name. That covenant, Lord God, that we entered in. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will help us today. The stirring that took place in this atmosphere today. The, the prayers that went forth today into the hearing of your people today, Lord God. Take us now to that place, Father, where we will seek your face because seeking your face is more important to us than anything else. Having a bona fide relationship with you is more important than anything else, Lord God. And so while we are making ourselves completely honest before you today, Lord, by saying 
there were times and there have been times and where we feel justified because of what has been done to us, how we've been treated, the things we've experienced, Lord God. We felt like we just wanted to hold to what we feel. But God, this morning, we, re- we realize that releasing those things because of our relationship with you is more important to us. It's, it's, it's more important to us. It's, it's more profitable to us, Lord God, to release those things that we've been holding on to. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that somebody today will seek the face of God so they can let go of the things that they're fighting with. So they can let go of the things that they're struggling with. God has already prophesied to us. Now will you do what he's asking you to do so you can experience total deliverance. So you can experience restoration of your covenant with him. He established the covenant towards you and says, If you will trust me, if you will obey me, if you will believe me, if you will follow me, then my promises will come to you. My promises will overtake you. And so I pray that somebody today will, oh, desire the promises of God more than anything else that is in their heart, that is in their mind, that is in their life. Reach out to God for his promises. Reach out to God for the the, the blessings that he says he will give to us if we will seek his face. Oh, if we will turn from our wicked ways. Will you seek the face of God just for a few moments here before we dismiss? Will you seek the face of God and will you begin to express to him all that is in your heart? If we will just express it to him, he will respond to us. Oh God, we express to you our burdens, Lord God. Our desires, Lord God, of ungodliness. Our will, Lord God, to want to keep the, keep doing what we think we, 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 we have to do or we need to do. Father, I don't want anything to interfere with my relationship with you. I don't want anything, Lord God, to prevent me from being in a real, true, bona fide relationship with you. And so I ask in the name of Jesus that today, Lord God, you will touch our minds. That today, Lord God, you will touch our heart, Lord God. And that, Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, uh, Lord Jesus Christ that is in us today, will you help us, Lord God, today to seek your face. uh, That we may know what it's like to seek your face, Lord God. to, To look to you, to reach out to you, Lord God. Father, in the name of Jesus, stir in the heart of your people. Speak to the minds of your people, Lord God, that they will seek your face, that they will seek your will, that they will never, Lord God, to obey you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just for a few moments, why don't you just lift your hands and lift your heart, your voice to the Lord.